Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. I'm Katie Halper. This is our third show. Very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. We have a good show today. We're going to be talking to Jimmy Dore later on. Yeah, comedian comedian. and host of the Jimmy Dore Show. Yeah. Which is good because the theme of the show is going to be all about the news media and how it's been terrible of late, right. yeah. uh, and that's a, a topic that he is right. very strong on, so yeah. we're looking forward to talking to the him later. The spiel is like, I'm just a jack-off comedian. Why am I covering things that the rest of the media gets wrong? He's got a lot to say about that, and we had there was a lot of interesting stuff in the news this week in terms of sort of failures of the, of the press in both directions, uh, left and right, so that's going to be interesting. So let's just let's just get the news out of the way sure, yeah. for food groups. For food groups, um, yeah. What do we got? For Republicans suck? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, we keep talking over each other because we're so excited. Yeah. Um, so for Republicans suck, I chose to focus on Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who is defending new gun laws that ease restrictions on gun owners in that state Sunday. And of course, that was only hours after the laws went into effect and hours after a gunman shot at least 21 people, killing seven in and around Odessa, Texas. So he it was really nice timing. The uh, Republican legislature followed up the shooting, the mass shooting with some gun laws. But basically, it's 10 bills. I'm reading from Vox. A pro-gun agenda has enjoyed support within the Republican-majority Texas state legislature, where 10 bills became law at the end of the legislative session in June and were signed into law by Abbott shortly thereafter. These went into effect on Sunday. Taken together, these new laws allowed licensed gun owners to store firearms in a locked car in a school parking lot and ban private apartment buildings from prohibiting gun owners from storing their weapons in their rental units. They also make it easier for people to bring guns into houses of worship and allow some foster homes to store guns. Well, I mean, I think people, while they're going to church, should be armed. Yes, I mean, church, so I'm mosques, fine with that. He- yeah. Not church, mosques, and synagogues. Right. <laughs> I forgot those. And also, uh, just so you know some background about this, this lovely gentleman, uh, Abbott, in uh, 2015, he tweeted, I'm embarrassed. Texas, number two in nation for new gun purchases behind California. Let's pick up the pace, Texans. So he, he basically wanted probably Texans to buy five times as many guns right. as Californians. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, even, yeah. or even more, probably. A man can dream. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, okay, for Democrats, like, it's not exactly Democrats per se. It's just more Democrat-leaning folk. Uh, we had our second sort of phony Trump boycott scare on the internet. Did you hear about this? Mm, the the yeah. uh the Olive Garden uh, became the latest company to be subject to a, a Twitter boycott because some idiot on Twitter tweeted out that Olive Garden was supporting Donald Trump. So there were, you know, before the company knew it, there were 40,000 retweets of this thing calling on people to, to boycott uh, Olive Garden. They had to come out with a statement saying that we don't support presidential candidates. And so this is the second time this has happened in over a month or earlier in the summer, there was a, a much bigger fiasco that involved Pizza Hut, uh, Wendy's, McDonald's, Taco Bell, uh, and some other uh, fast food companies. And that, that one got like 270,000 retweets. So this this whole thing with boycotts is becoming like a yeah. thing. Uh, and then there was SoulCycle and um, Equinox. High-end fitness brand Equinox Gyms got their members' heart rates racing in an entirely different way today. Criticism and threats to boycott the gym and its spinning studio, SoulCycle, came flooding in after word broke that the corporation's owner, billionaire Stephen Ross, is holding a lavish fundraiser for President Trump later this week. There was a big call for boycott there. Talk show host Andy Cohen raged outside a gym. So Equinox and SoulCycle are giving our money to the Trump campaign. But later added he was keeping his membership. It's everybody's right 
to give money to whatever candidate they want. So, okay, so that happened. So what happened in terms of, uh, uh, isn't that horrible for this week? So isn't that horrible? I'm going to return to the Odessa shooting. Uh, it turns out a neighbor of the gunman told CNN that she reported him to police just last month after he threatened her with a rifle. But police never visited the house because guess why they didn't? They didn't have enough, what, funding? I don't know. They couldn't find it after it didn't show up on GPS. <laughs> the cops couldn't find yeah. the place? Yeah. <laughs> so it's they like were the, like millennial cops? Yeah, I guess so. Right, yeah. Yeah. Millennial cops. I mean, it's the one time like cops show restraint in shooting someone. Right, because or, they can't or, follow directions. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, exactly. It's horrible because it, I'm sure it sounds like this actually was preventable. Right. And also, according to police, the gunman called 911 and the FBI national tip line shortly before he began shooting, but he didn't make any threats of violence. He just said, I'm going to go out and... I don't actually know. I don't think they reported on it, but they dropped the ball. Okay, so they're going to have to send police now to remedial like living skills yeah. classes yeah. before they go Imagine out? Imagine if they called the woman up and been like, hi, we can't find... I mean... It's embarrassing already, but you know, yeah. you'd think that this would be important enough to maybe like call the one back, be like, I can't find the. It's going to be two lights and you take a right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Like the people can't really do that anymore. Yeah. That's terrible. Okay. Well, for, for, isn't that weird? You know, I know it's too big of a story for this normally, but I, the Epstein story, there are two things about this. First, the, they, they sent the two malfunctioning cameras outside of his cell to an FBI lab. That just seems like such a bizarre way to deal with that story like what are they going to discover in terms of uh why the two cameras didn't right. work from from laboratory analysis right. like that I think, it wasn't like fiddled with or something is right. that what they're they're going to i mean is that and first of all how is that judgment even going to be believed no matter what no matter right what happens? yeah and the, the, the second thing about the story the story's dead have you noticed that it's not it's it's really become a, a third or fourth yeah. year story in, in the press. And it was on the verge of being like the biggest story in history, yeah. like just a couple of weeks ago. And it's just suddenly nowhere. What do you think happened? I, I have no idea. I mean, I don't I don't have any friends who are on that beat, so I don't I don't understand it. But it's it seemed like everybody was gearing up to make this like a, you know, a six or nine month affair where they were going to cover right. it every day and now the instant the suicide happened it's like they've they've uh, assigned people away from the story it's very strange to me what beat is that the perv who's really connected to very powerful yeah i men? guess so i uh, guess that yeah. yeah yeah but are you a conspiracy theory person i mean i i find that term really annoying because it's so first of all there's conspiracy literally means what more than Breathe one together. person doing something together right breathing together Oh, really? That's yeah. what it comes from? Yeah. Oh, speed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize that. But okay, but legally, right? It means like more than one person mm -hmm. doing something. So people say that's a conspiracy theory when things are conspiracies all the time. Sure, right? yeah. But the way it's used means it's like, are you a conspiracy theorist? It's like, do you believe in wacky, unproven things? Right, right yeah. Aliens taking over yeah, the Rothschilds right. or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, no, no, yeah. No, I mean, I, I always come from the, the, the point of view that most kinds of corruptions are, are, are corruption or open conspiracies right mm -hmm. like you know yeah. sort of the subprime mortgage scandal for right. instance if something was right out in the open it was a conspiracy between you know government uh, lack of law enforcement and, and, right. and that, that sort of thing but it's very seldom do you see the the kind of secret cloak and dagger you know the 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 literary version of a right. conspiracy theory that's very very rare like yeah. I'm, I'm always like you know very reluctant to believe those stories when yeah. they pop up but um, the Epstein thing, there's no way to make it 
makes sense right you know in a, as a conventional corruption story it's yeah. just it's there's something about it that's I really know. strange and, and you would think that that would be a thing that would attract you know every journalist on earth to, to cover the story and for some reason suddenly no. but isn't that part of i mean i don't know what the conspiracy theory is but that also makes sense right if part of the I conspiracy guess. is that no it's very weird we should do a whole thing on yeah. that we, that's another yeah, yeah yeah next time Sadly, we can't have Epstein on. The, yeah, well, we could. It just wouldn't be very interesting. Right. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, weekday with Epstein. Right. Yeah. We, we can weekday with Epstein. Because we tape on Tuesday. Hit yeah. him with the fly swatter. Yeah. yeah. That would be great. So who dropped out of the race this week? Oh, yeah. We got What's to do our count, Crystal now? Lake update, right? Yeah, the body exactly. count. So we got uh, uh, Gillibrand, uh, who dropped out. What do you have to say about that, Matt? What so, do you have to say about Gillibrand? I don't have anything to say about Kristen. Do you have anything to say about Kristen Gillibrand? I mean, she stumbled a lot uh, during the last debate. Uh, I think I texted you. I was like, what was that? And, and you texted back, acid trip. Uh, <laughs> because she definitely like just froze for a couple of seconds. Do, do, we, ha do we have that audio? Oh, yeah, we do. Back significantly. Senator Gillibrand, what's your response? Um... <laughs> um, again, uh, President Trump. That was a unique debate moment. And there, there have been some bad debate screw-ups and trying to think back in history. Uh, but I can't remember one where a person just literally is like, I got nothing. Yeah, it wasn't a great moment. Like, where was she doing? I don't know. Was she like... Texting some, some privileged like white that. women <laughs> and telling them not to that vote That was for the Trump. same. That was her. That, that was, was her, debate, yeah. her privilege, uh, white privilege yeah. thing. Check, yeah. yeah. I kept trying to figure out during the campaign what, what the logic behind her candidacy was, and I, I couldn't figure out exactly where she was trying to slot in. Mm. It was very strange. Yeah. Anyway, she's out now. So she's out. Yeah. So who do you think is gonna? Who do you think the next? Drop I'm hoping out is it'll be? be Buttigieg and Klobuchar. I don't think it will be, but no. those are the ones who I'd like to see gone. I'll go with Bennett. Bennett, you know, I went to uh, Wesleyan and his father was the head of Wesleyan. Really? Yeah. Doug Bennett. He talked like his son if his son had a mouthful of marbles. <laughs> he already kind of talks like that. Well, even imagine more marbles. So it was like two mouthfuls of marbles? Yeah, What's the, two mouthfuls the, of yeah. uh, marbles. Two mar yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, the thing is, he, he, he serves a purpose in the race as being somebody that they can used to beat down the progressives right. with yeah like you know what do you think about bennett's plan right yeah. i think they should just count um bennett delaney bullock 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 they should just count them as one well they're not on the debate should anymore, be like a three amigos they, thing yeah the three centrist moderate boring amigos yeah and then uh throw that would be, that would be a good, too, good yeah. movie concept actually. yeah yeah okay so this was a really bad week for the news media there were there were two pretty sort of hairy news media now, scandal is kind of a strong word, but there were there were two, two two flubs. They're worth talking about in some depth because the, the, they represent two different species of right. uh, complaint that people have about the news media generally. And this is this is why we're doing this kind of media sucks uh, themed podcast. But the 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 one that got a lot of attention, especially on progressive Twitter last week or on the social media, involved the Bernie Sanders fact check. Now, the, the there's a fact check column in the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. And first of all, fact-checking columns are, are, are a relatively new craze. I mean, they, they've, they, they've always existed, but, but in the Trump era, they've suddenly assumed this uh, new importance. And, and it's part of the, the media's self-image, you know, this democracy dies in darkness thing, that we're the, we're the protectors of, of fact. There's all, there are all these uh, fact-checking sites, uh, you know, online, you know, political right. fact, et cetera, et cetera. 
the the post is really into this whole thing, and they did it. They did a fact check of something that Bernie had said, which was talking about how five hundred thousand people go into bankruptcy every year because of medical costs or their medical related bankruptcies. And the post did this whole fact check that was based on the fact the stat came from a study that was done uh, by this guy named David Himmelstein, uh, and it was published in the American Journal of Public Health. And there's a bunch of things about this that are crazy. First of all, the Post had itself cited that same statistic in an earlier piece. So, so clearly the fact was checked well enough for its own right. publication previously. But what they did with this is they went into the whole methodology of, uh, of Himmelstein's study. And they looked at how he had come up with the 500,000 number, which was based on the idea that he had sent out surveys to a large number of people who had gone into bankruptcy and asked them uh, whether it was very true or somewhat true that they, their bankruptcy had been related to medical costs, right? And, and uh, they concluded essentially that he was, he was overrating the, the, the impact of uh, you know, medical costs on bankruptcies, despite the fact that Himmelstein uh, you know, pr- pretty conclusively laid out his numbers. He may even have been undercounting because right. this was, we were talking about 500,000 households essentially, right. right? So it could have been as many as 2 million people. But they, went and they, they drilled down so far just to get under the skin of that one number. And I think what people don't understand is this is not the way fact-checking works. Like, I've been fact-checked a gazillion times in my life when you go through, you know, a, a long feature, and you have too, I'm sure, right? You're not trying to flunk people who are, right. who are submitting an article or this would be a political speech, but you're just looking for a fa- the idea that it's a defensible right. number, a defensible claim that's submitted by some kind of authoritative right. person, right? Yeah. And that you have one or two sources who will sign off on it. And that's that's enough to get the fact through. To the, I mean, otherwise, think about it. You could never pass an right. entire yeah. newspaper or something like that. So they drilled down so far just to bent over backwards to flunk this fact. They gave Sanders three Pinocchios for this stupid Geppetto rating, whatever that is. Yeah. I know. And then after that, they're, they're, they're like, the guy isn't peer-reviewed. They get a, a letter back from them saying it is peer-reviewed, and they they still won't admit that they made a mistake. They won't retract it. And I don't know. This, this to me was really interesting because this was an instance where it's a it's an incredibly petty thing. It's not important in the larger scheme of things. But in the in the given that they've done so much negative stuff right. about this one candidate, they the fact that they can't even retract a clearly a, a clear mistake like this right it just sends a message to a huge number of people that you know the papers is not going to be responsive to a certain you know demographic and right you know. and and it's also like the fact that they went after him on this level for this mistake in the first place is it's almost like showing their hands so much it's almost I guess it should surprise me but it doesn't or it should not surprise me but it does it shouldn't surprise me because the Washington Post is so biased but they they just wear it on their sleeve so much. Like this is so blatant. But I guess because they're dinner party circuit, they all hate Sanders. In, in this particular kind of species of media person, you know, sort of Washington, right. uh, New York, L.A. corridor of you know sort of national journalists, they, they you know Bernie's disliked, right? Uh, which I get. I mean, there are politicians I dislike, but but to to do this is so, it's just so petty. 
You know, yeah. uh, it's just a window into what they do all the time, right? On a more subtle level, right, or less obvious le- level. Well, they they've done so many like uh, the famous. They, yeah, there was that day they did the infamous sixteen stories in sixteen hours or whatever it was yeah. about Sanders, and some of those stories were preposterous. And this this whole thing was so crazy because they they had a back and forth with with Himmelstein, the the researcher. You know, they went into this whole uh, explanation of whether or not. He was peer reviewed. Oh my god! Yeah, this is really which pathetic. was Himmelstein actually wrote to them and basically said, uh, "Look, it was peer reviewed." Right. And he he shows a picture of the the note to him. You know, dear Mr. Himmelstein, your thing has been accepted for peer review. Right. Right. And that's from the journal. Right. And the journal, uh, Glenn Kessler writes. Uh, who's the head of fact checking? Head of yeah. fact checking there. So this is false. Article did not say it was not peer reviewed. We quote an editor saying the quote editorial did not undergo the same peer-reviewed editing process as a research article, but note it used the methodology similar to what the researchers used in a two thousand in a two thousand and five peer-reviewed study. I mean, I, I do this for a living. I have no idea what that means. Yeah. I mean, I, if you if you if you talk to an academic, yes, some of them I've talked to have have said I do kind of vaguely understand what they're saying that this is a peer-review-like process that he underwent, but it mm. wasn't technically a peer-review. But for them, what the, what they're saying is, we're not saying it's not peer reviewed, but it isn't peer reviewed. It just went through a process that's like peer review. It's like a it's like triple speak, you know? Yeah. And again, with fact checking, you want to make a simple call: is this peer reviewed or not? You know? Right. And yeah. it was in the American Journal of Public Health, which is not like some weird fringe journal. Yeah, it's not Screw Magazine. Yeah. Yeah. I would make it very interesting, but um, <laughs> no. So this Dr. Himmelstein, this MD. Wrote to Salvador Rizzo, who's the I guess the fact this individual fact checker who who went after Sanders on this. Glenn Kessler is the is the director of or whatever the head editor of it, right? So he so this poor doctor writes to to Rizzo. Your Washington Post fact checker article falsely claimed that my article in the American Journal of Public Health had not gone had not undergone peer review, while some other editorials that appear in that journal may not undergo such review. As indicated in the email included below that I received from the editor-in-chief of the journal, mine clearly did. Your false claim has besmirched my reputation as a scholar. I demand that you immediately publicly retract it and the rest of your article and that you pursue vigorous efforts to inform your readers of your error. So this isn't just about Sanders either, right? It's like no, the it's collateral the guy, damage. Right. Is, yeah. The, for, first they say that Sanders is lying, right? Then they go on to say that Himmelstein right, is lying. Yeah. And then later... The, the the journal actually right the, the guy Himmelstein includes a letter from the journal that says dear David I have confirmed to the Washington Post that your letter was peer reviewed there has been some confusion uh, here because they they approached us with a general question about editorial sign um, Alfredo Morabia uh, editor in chief so then the the Post doesn't retract it even after then so now they're saying Sanders and Himmelstein and the American Journal of Public Health are all mistaken. Right, right. Uh, and they, these fact checkers clearly know what they're talking about, and it's not the Journal of Public Health. And they're, they're checking the fact that the American Journal of Health peer-reviewed the, the study, and the, the journal says they did, and they're like, yeah, whatever. They still don't, still don't retract it. Yeah, um, why shouldn't they retract their own story that cited this? Well, yeah, you would think. We should have a list where we just assume. I, I Honestly, it's so infuriating how entitled and um, unaccountable these, these people are. We should just start saying that they've apologized and retracted it and corrected it. 
And then if if that's not true, they're going to have to step forward and say that. But we should have a list. <laughs> so Washington a, Post, yeah. We should do a fake news story. Yeah. So Washington thank, Post. Thank you to the Washington Post yeah, for, ha- for so retracting much. that story. Right. And, 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 and also thank you for, for apologizing for your systemic bias against Sanders and your... Um, and Dr. Himmelstein. And Dr. And yeah, Himmelstein, yeah. yeah. The thing that's really frustrating about this, if you, again, if you go through fact-checking and you get a letter from somebody who's in your story and you have a factual mistake in your story and they are writing to you, the, you know, a person who is, who is in a position to sue you uh, yeah. for libel Why don't and they have proof it? that you've, you've done something mistaken, every, per, every editor you know, worth his or her salt in, in the industry would be like, okay, let's fix it because why bother? Right. Like you're, you're, there's, there's, no, there's no upside to leaving a, right. a, a mistake. This shows you how, like, the, the extent that they're willing to dig in on right. this issue it shows you exactly where they are with respect right. to this candidate. Because if it were any other situation, it's just not worth it normally. Right. Yeah. It's, it should be embarrassing, but they don't really have the conscience required to be embarrassed. You know, this 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 gets to the whole you know the thing that Sanders was talking about before, uh, where he was complaining about the post and saying that you well, what do you expect? Jeff Bezos, you know, owns the post, and I've I've gone after. Amazon and Sanders had this big public confrontation with them, and, and which resulted in the company and, and Bezos's company having to raise their minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour. Of, right. of course, there's going to be some kind of sort of negative slant right. in, in the paper, and there was a cacophony of responses from journalists saying that's ridiculous, yeah. that's a conspiracy theory. Um, you know, people went on CNN to talk about this, uh, which is. Totally absurd, right? I mean, yeah. you, we, you know this how how it works in the, in, in the press, right? I yeah. mean, we, you know. yeah, and we have video. Can we play the video? Sure. Of, okay, yeah. Oh, by the way, really quickly before we do that, I just wanted to say that Glenn Kessler, the fact checker, right? He tweeted casually uh, recently. Why do I always have to turn down the sound when Bernie answers? Like, why do you say that? You just email that to your nerdy friends, right. like your fellow, like your your Washington Post Slack. Right. But why would you say that? <laughs> Washington Post. Like, yeah. yeah. Imagine being a fact checker and just saying that stuff. This was an issue in the last campaign in 2016. And it was one of the reasons that um, uh, Liz Spade, you know, had to re- quit as the public editor of The New York Times because she got into trouble for saying, you know, it's not always a good thing for reporters to have Twitter presences, you know, or at least it's different than it yeah. used to be. Like in the old days, if you had a byline in a newspaper, Nobody knew what your politics were. They didn't know what right. you thought. And and that was, in some respects, a good thing. Like, you know, not everybody in the business is like a snarky, right. you know, columnist like, you know, you or me, right? right? And that anonymity was really valuable to right. news organizations because it, it gave them some legitimacy. But now everybody has a Twitter presence. So you know where everybody stands and everything. But the last person you want to have opinions is the fact checker right and it's almost i mean it's refreshing in some ways because it's so transparent right like his claims of objectivity are so undermined by this but it's disturbing not just that he has those uh, opinions but it's disturbing that he feels comfortable doing that right. so let's watch cnn the washington post is pushing back at, at criticism from senator bernie sanders the 2020 democratic hopeful blasted the post coverage of his campaign And he argues that it is biased because it is owned by Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. Listen to Sanders in New Hampshire yesterday. Anybody here know how much Amazon paid in taxes last year? Nothing! I talk about that all of the time, and then I wonder why the Washington Post 
which is owned by Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, doesn't write particularly good articles about me. I don't know why. Now, he failed to provide any evidence of that. Those past comments along those lines were echoed by his campaign and prompted this reply by Marty Barron, the executive editor for The Washington Post. Quote, Senator Sanders is a member of a large club of politicians of every ideology who complain about their coverage. Contrary to the conspiracy theory that the senator seems to favor, Jeff Bezos allows our newsroom to operate with full independence, as our reporters and editors can attest. From the Marty Barron. I can't, that kills me, that He part. was played by Lieb Schreiber in Spotlight. How can we, how can we criticize yeah, him? Uh, yeah, I do like Schreiber, but yeah. that is the most ridiculous thing. And when you're going against such a standard like the Washington Post, which has come out and said from Marty Barron himself, <laughs> that you are perpetuating a conspiracy that sounds just like the President of the United States, you're like, it's such a conspiracy that even the publisher... I mean, it's like, it's preposterous. If, you, if, if somebody said, you know, if you worked for Fox News, nobody's going to say anything bad about Rupert Murdoch. There isn't a single, you know, Democrat or progressive in the world who would who, who would right. argue with that. Right. It's a self-evident statement. Right. And everybody knows that that's how it works. In this, in this, nobody comes down in red pencils course, your copy. Right, which we'll talk about. Yeah. But, but, I mean, on top of that, imagine if your defense of that was like, even Rupert Murdoch said it's not true. <laughs> like, why does she think this is a good argument? It's the exact opposite of a good argument. It's it's like, that's the last person you quote. You'd of say course. even this objective person who has nothing to do with this, or the, even this person who loves Sanders, or even this person who hates the Washington Post, but no. If you're going to make that accusation, you better be able to, to offer some proof. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you are acting just but, like Donald Trump. I'm sorry. But... Okay, so the Trump thing—if you criticize the media, you're yeah. Trump. That is a—that's a faulty syllogism. Yeah. Like you ever see, you heard the Woody Allen joke: like Socrates is a man, all men are mortal, therefore all, all men are Socrates. That's like—that's basically that's exactly what, this what they're saying. Yeah. You know, Donald Trump criticizes the media, Bernie Sanders, therefore Bernie Sanders yeah. is Donald. It doesn't work that way. Like no. the, the, just because Donald Trump does something doesn't make all criticism right. of the media it doesn't invalid. make it Trumpian per right. se. and also look what the way they're criticizing it like Sanders isn't saying anything threatening he's not making fun of journalists for like being disabled right, right. like the fact that you could compare those things I mean I remember seeing this a lot in 2016 with TPP people were like oh they both oppose TPP right. like well you know who else opposes TPP the Sierra Club uh, Doctors Without Borders, Feminist Majority, Now, all these groups that the, the liberals who are making that argument claim to support. Like, there is overlap. Politics makes for strange bedfellows. Yeah. You know, people support things for different reasons. And is Noam Chomsky Trumpian with all of his critique of the media? Right, manufacturing exactly. consent right. that's he's, like he's, Trump's he's you know, mind well. pump or whatever. And the, the thing about this, and, 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 and I think Jimmy is going to get into this a little bit too, the, the, the whole issue when they, when they get up there and they say, oh, you know, who owns the newspaper doesn't have any impact on, on our coverage or you know, who advertises on our channel doesn't have any impa impact on how we cover things. Everybody knows that's bullshit. Right. Look, I've worked for, for news organizations that and have, have come up against the, the problem of criticizing an advertiser before. Right. Like it comes up, right. and 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 all and beyond that, it on an unconscious level, it it, it right. it's it's yeah. that's where it works. Is it works at the point of hire. You know that if you start being a jerk about certain things, you're not going to get promoted right. in this company. And you that's wouldn't have been hired in the first place, right? And then exactly. once you get there, yeah, it's not all overt. And that's right. why people like Jennifer Rubin and Max oh Boot rise to the op-ed page. And, you know, and the Glenn Kesslers of the world will, right. will, will do fine. The point is denying all this 
just completely undermines the credibility of right. the press with with huge swaths of the public, left and right. Wow, you know? wow, Matt, you sound like Trump. <laughs> exactly. Wow, yeah, saying yeah. That and the same people who are making this point are like people who just accuse the press of being biased against Hillary Clinton. Oh, right, yeah. You know? I mean, it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? right? I mean, like, bias exists everywhere, and it's just a question of, like, how upfront you are yeah, about exactly. it. It's, it's the denying it that makes right, it difficult, exactly, you know? Right. So. Totally. And then we get into the sort of the other example of... The hurt, false equivalency. Yeah, or how oh. you can hurt your credibility is the thing that happened with Lawrence O'Donnell oh, last yes, week. Oh, yes, right. So Lawrence, Lawrence O'Donnell... In the middle of like the transfer over to Rachel's show, right? Or it was other way around. I think. It was the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he comes up with this, uh, you know, a scoop. Hmm. This single source close to Deutsche Bank has told me that the Trump Donald Trump's loan documents there show that he has co-signers. That's how he was able to obtain those loans, and that the co-signers are Russian oligarchs. What? Really? That would explain, it seems to me, every kind word Donald Trump has ever said about Russia and Vladimir Putin, if true. And I stress the if true. And it's funny to watch Maddow, who's not exactly a skeptic when it comes to Russiagate uh, allegations and Trump uh, conspiracy theories. She's like, I mean, she looked like disturbed, shocked, incredulous. Right. Like, what's going on? Yeah, but um, that was a it was a big story, right? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, yeah. and and I should say, I don't necessarily dis- disbelieve it. It's 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 uh, it's right. possible, you know. I mean, look, Donald, there's been reporting in the past that suggested that he's had Russian financing. You know, it's it's a natural uh, marriage, mm-hmm. you know, a, 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 an American real estate baron right. with Russian Bobby money, baron. right? Conspiracy. Yes. <laughs> so the the idea that he would have Russian financing, there's there's nothing that's unbelievable about that. But they didn't have the story, right? As it turns out. Last night on this show, I discussed information that wasn't ready for reporting. I repeated statements a single source told me about the president's finances and loan documents with Deutsche Bank, saying, if true, as I discussed the information, was simply not good enough. I did not go through the rigorous verification and standards process here at MSNBC before repeating what I heard from my source. Had it gone through that process, I would not have have been permitted to report it. I should not have said it on air or posted it on Twitter. I was wrong to do so. So I guess what makes this stand out is that he actually copped to it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And this 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 is if, if this had happened a year ago, we wouldn't have, we would barely have even noticed this story because this was happening routinely right. at the time. And and the it's a feature of kind of the modern media landscape because the 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 business model now is so divided. So we have we have uh, networks that basically cater to people who identify as Democrats or blue staters, and then we have Fox on the other side and yeah. the Daily Caller, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's the you know, Daily and caller, yeah. b- because it's it's divided like that. What tends to happen is if you do a story and you screw it up, um, the retraction is going to appear on the other side. Right. In, other, in other words, like the New York Times is going to do a story. If they get something wrong, it's going to be the Daily Caller that points it out. Right. And not the retraction, the rebuttal, right? The rebuttal, they, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes it's it's not really a retraction. It's just like that story turned out not to be true, right? Right, but it's, it's the other side saying it's it. It's the other yeah. side will say it. So, you know, for, for an example, 
there were so many of these Russia stories in the last couple of years that kind of like went sideways after they were released. Like the New York Times did a huge kind of narrative driving story. Like Trump campaign had repeat, repeated contacts with Russian intelligence. And later on, you know, James Comey was testifying and he like, you know, in congressional testimony says that that story is not not true. But the, the Times didn't retract the story. It was discussed in conservative media. Right. And that happens the other way, too. Like you'll see false stories right. or, or or stories go sideways on Fox or, or in conservative media. And then it's the we talk about it on right. the other side. Right. And then if you mention the thing that, let's say, MSNBC or New York Times got wrong, then you're Trumpian or you're repeating right wing talking points or you're repeating or defending Trump. Trump or yeah, something like that. Right. Yeah. Or def- right. Or why are you parroting a right wing site? Right. It's like, well, we don't want to be. That's kind of the point. Right. If only like the left actually retracted stuff, then we wouldn't have to be citing these sites because it would be covered here. Right. When you have a divided landscape like this, uh, what ends up happening is people sort of implicitly understand that everything's politicized, right? And if yeah. they see that you're not retracting your own screwed up stories, they just don't believe you. Like if you, if you, even if they like what you're saying, and and so this is this is a huge problem, and this is one of the things we're going to talk about with with Jimmy, which is you, you think about the way the, the media is organized right now. You take a uh, a company like MSNBC. They're, or or the Washington Post. Let's take, take the Washington Post for example. They're dumping on the Sanders voters, right? And they're basically telling them we're not going to listen to your complaints. Like they're not valid enough for us to do a retraction. But they're also dumping on the Trump people at the same time. So so who's their target audience? Twenty five percent of the public mm. now, or is it less than that because it's a portion of the public doesn't vote? Like, isn't that right. weird? I mean, you know. Yeah. And this this is a totally different business from what it used to be when, you know, we were trying to be, have credibility across the board. Right. Right? I yeah. Mean, what's really distressing about all this is that I think a lot of the people in the business have, who have kind of watched this happen over time, it's like being frogs in boiling water. They're, they, they haven't realized how bad it looks right. to the outside, right? And so when, so insular. When, you make, when you make repeated mistakes and you don't retract them or you don't admit that you've, you've done it, over time, like, you know, it, be, it becomes completely transparent to even unsophisticated audiences that you've got a problem. But within that bubble, it's such a, it's such a bubble now. So speaking of media bias and irresponsible media and the false equivalency, let's play our interview that we did with Jimmy Dore. This is a really fun interview. Jimmy at one point gets so wound up that I, I actually was speechless just watching him during this chat. It was really, it was really fun. So, yeah. uh, tune in now. We're really excited to be talking to Jimmy Dore, a comedian, host of the Jimmy Dore Show. Welcome. Well, it's amazing how you can feign excitement like that. <laughs> I mean, she really I am sold excited. That, Sorry, you? I, you know, I'm really so drawn. I'm so. You're, you're going to have to do the, the opening, whatever. Hey. Hey! Oh, hi, Katie. Is that good? How are you, Katie? Good. How are you? It's good to see you. Did a great Me job too. on the on Thank the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I did. Jimmy's show it was great, and you know, I have to say, something really moving about your show at the end of the show. And Jimmy's a, a comedian. Obviously, he's really funny. But at the end of your show, you actually were started everyone in the room chanting, "All wars are bullshit." Correct. And it was really moving. I have to admit, I like couldn't chant along with it because I was afraid I was going to cry. It was, it was, but I was like, oh my God, it's so rare to hear this. And I thought that was kind of a great example of your purpose. You're very funny. You're very angry, but you really do have a very 
important message that's actually, as corny as it sounds, it's very pro-human. Like, you actually like people, as angry as you come off, and, mm-hmm. and you're angry because you like people. So. That's right. Can you describe for, for us what your show is? Like, how do you describe your show? Because it is an interesting combo of different things. So I like to describe my show uh, as, as the, it, what The Daily Show would be if it wasn't hosted by a millionaire and produced by a giant corporation. Is that where you got the, the concept? Were you watching The Daily Show and thinking, this is how I would do it if I had a... So I was, uh, it all started in uh, 2006. Uh, the UCB Theater opened in Los Angeles, and they asked me if I would do a show. And at the time, I had hurt my back, so I was watching a lot of TV news, and I just couldn't get over it. I couldn't get over how bad it was. I couldn't get over it. And I wanted to show everybody. And so when they asked me to do that show, I was like, I know what I'll do. I'm going to just show video clips of the news, and people are going to freak out. So it was right when, you know, The Daily Show was huge. And he, you know, John Stewart pioneered that kind of genre of video, how to use it. And so I learned a lot from watching him and whatever. But it, there's a lot to it, using video in a live setting. And so it took a while for me to figure out how to do it right and correctly. And that's all started at the UCB Theater when I started doing it was a show called Pop and Politics, which led to my hour special on Comedy Central, which was called Citizen Jimmy. And that led to uh, me then getting on The Young Turks, which then led to the Jimmy Dore show. What was the first material that you were doing? From what I remember, it was just about the ridiculousness of the news going along with the Iraq war and stuff like that. So now people pretty much get it. But still, people turn to MSNBC as like it's some kind of alternative news programming yeah. instead of being produced by the exact same people that they're supposed to be. That's the theme of my show is that the problem with the news is that they're owned and funded by the people they're supposed to be investigating and exposing. And of course, you're not going to get the news that you need to know about from those people, which is why we're in eight wars that nobody gives a shit about. 80% of the people live paycheck to paycheck. 50% Americans can't afford like a $400 emergency. 30 million Americans don't have health. I mean, that's because the people who bring us the news are all owned by the people who want to keep that status quo. I mean, that's not anything new, uh, but it's for really rare to hear for right. some reason, even in comedy. You know, right now it's kind of a sad time for comedians. Uh, because they've been sucked into this uh, uh, Russiagate bullshit, and uh, instead, of, instead of debunking it and standing up to red scares, they play right along with it. Uh, every late-night talk show, first of all, there's no even reason for those shows to exist. Who the hell would go home? So uh, it was, uh, I was watching Conan O'Brien the other day, uh, just for, you know, uh, not the right reasons. Right. And, um, Were you high? So, yes. Right. <laughs> so they, had, they announced Andy Richter's podcast. He has a new podcast. And I was like, uh, wow, maybe they'll talk about something interesting on that podcast because they never fucking talk about anything interesting on this 22-minute show he does a night, which is why podcasts are big now. Why would you go watch that show when you can watch, you know, someone speak interestingly? Joe Rogan outdoes all of them. Right. <laughs> Joe Rogan, the host of Fear Factor who announces guys fighting in cages, right. is a better talk show host than all these millionaire, zillionaire guys. And also, he and you... You have more reach now than... Are you amazed? I'm always amazed that people in the business are not aware of how little impact they're mm-hmm. having uh, as, as opposed to where, what they used to have. I mean, people like you, Joe, the, you're actually bigger media properties now, really, than a lot of these, these cable outlets. Well, it's because they can get something you know, from us that they can't get anywhere right. else. You know, you right. could, people want to have funny, interesting conversations about politics. They turn on Bill Maher. They don't get, they're getting corporate claptrap. That doesn't, isn't insightful one bit. That show, you know. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am surprised when powerful people 
recognize me publicly. Mm. Like when Nira Tandon, who's the president of the Center for American Progress, very familiar, we're big yeah. Nira fans, yeah. came, came at me on Twitter. It was like, oh, I thought you were going to pretend to not notice right. me your whole life. Right. But it's, so, it's bothering her so much that I outed her for the fascist war criminal that she really is because she got revealed by WikiLeaks that she wanted to steal the oil in Libya. She was advocating for stealing their oil so we could fund more in interventionist wars because right. if we don't, we're going to have to cut social programs yeah. at home. And right. That would piss people off. So in order to keep being able to do these foreign wars, we better start stealing their oil. That was near a tan and revealed by Julian Assange. And now she's advocating for his imprisonment and right. death, right? right? And so I just called out, no, you're the real fascist. So the fact that oh, yeah, I do a video that she watches and then she actually tweets about it, it's like, oh, my God. Thanks for uh, the PR. I'm again, I'm a drunk press. nightclub comedian who smokes pot in the morning in my garage, and it's bothering these people. Why? Because there is no adversarial journalism in this goddamn country, and it's up to people like me. Right. And that's, that's why this country's in such a bad shape, when it when it's lands on the shoulders of people like me to be the anti-war voice. Right. You know, it's, uh, we're in a sad state of affairs. And of course, she tweets like, "I when Jimmy Jimmy Dore harasses me, I just ignore it." Cut to her tweeting about Jimmy Dore harass, <laughs> right, allegedly yeah. harassing her. It's like you, an interesting way of ignoring it. How many? She's like ninety thousand followers or something. Yes, and, and she's got a whole network of trolls that oh are. Oh my that, gosh! That, yes, yeah, I mean, yes, that, yes, yes. it's not just her. Yeah, we should do a, a game like guess that troll, name which uh, which yeah. near a troll it is. Yeah, no. I mean, um, look how bad it is. Sirius XM has a progressive news channel, which is the opposite of a progressive news right. channel. Run by Zerlina Maxwell, yes, the who, Hillary Clinton. Who's the most anti-progressive person in the world. She hates Bernie. She constantly, yeah. she lies about him yeah. publicly. She's caught and outed. And by yeah. the way, it doesn't hurt her. She does Because right. when you lie at the behest of the establishment, there's never a price to pay. Yeah. Ever. You fail upwards. That's right. Fail forward, yeah. No, she's, I don't know if you remember this. She's, she, one of her greatest hits of dishonesty was when she just said that she clocked it and Sanders during his kickoff speech in Brooklyn didn't mention race or gender until 20 something minutes in. And people were like, wait, he's literally on, like he's on film mentioning these things five minutes in. Like they're used to, I, I feel like liars used to be better at it, but I guess it's this entitlement and this impunity that lets them actually say things that are totally debunkable. In this media environment, if you just, I think the Russian story is a great example. Oh, yeah. Just just keep going forward, just keep saying the next thing, and the news cycle will never right. catch up to it. Right? Exactly, that's exactly right. And someone, I forget who, made the analogy that in the West, in the Old West, when they would form a posse, they would always bring a couple extra horses for when their horse got tired, they would just jump on the other horse. And that's what Russiagate turned out to be, that they just, uh, oh, really? So there's no Russiagate? Well, we're going to jump on the, uh, the obstruction horse, and we're just going right, to keep riding right. it, and without taking a breath. Right. And we're just going to keep going. And so that's what I thought. I thought, you know, I was hanging on. I thought the Mueller report was going to set everything straight, right? And I was at the Young Turks at the time, and they were... Well, it's kind of like an abusive relationship. Like, you keep hoping that there's going to be a breakthrough, yeah. right? You're like, it's going to change now. Once we see this with the if Mueller... I if I just do yeah, good work, exactly. if I just keep my head down and keep doing good work... Yeah. And well, I don't put my head down, but I right. do keep doing good work and screaming it at the top of my lungs. Maybe everything will turn out good. Right, no, no, right. That's, that's you, not how yeah, it works. Right. People have no idea how unnews the news is. Right. I mean, there's also the issue of people when they watch the news, they don't realize they're watching a consumer product. You know, I mean, exactly. I mean, that's right. the other thing that drives me. People, oh, well, they're just telling the truth. You know, look, do you think it's a public service that they're doing? I mean, this is a money-making corporation, right? I mean, there's there's a profit incentive in terms of every piece of, pro of content that you see. Worse, it's the people in the business, right? The people who consider themselves journalists, uh, who have no idea how they've been groomed for that job since they were in right. kindergarten.
right? Because if they if they thought us a different way, I was at some kind of meeting in San Francisco, a bunch of journalist types, and I always get uncomfortable around those people. And I'm on, I was on a panel, and there was a guy, regular journalist guy, award winner guy, and uh, he always likes to start off, well, you're not a journalist, right? That's what he says to me, and I'm like, I'm like, well, did you go to school for journalism? You got your degree? And he, of course he didn't. Right. He's like, well, of course, me neither. We're exactly the same. All journalism is is taking your head down the street and seeing what's happening. That's <laughs> called journalism. And they can't even fucking do that. Right. And so when he, he's like, you know, when we're in these editorial meetings talking about war, you know, we don't talk like that. We don't th- talk like you think we talk. And I go, well, isn't it amazing that you all, every news organization is always for every war, even though you guys don't have secret meetings? How does that happen? Right. How does that happen? That's because you're chosen, just like broadcast news. Have you guys not known how this works? You're chosen. Guys like me are not chosen to work for companies like yours. And if they do, they fire my ass. They fire Chris Hedges when he's told the truth about the Iraq. They fired Phil Donahue. They fire Ed Schultz just for covering Bernie Sanders. And people still turn into MSNBC as if they're getting the news. And Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes didn't quit when that happened. Jesse Ventura, they unhired him. That's right. He's he's still living in a a house he calls MSNBC. Right. Casa MSNBC Casa that he MSNBC, paid yeah. for with the money that they they had to pay him for the, the his contract. Yeah, 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 exactly. So. so, and people think that's the news, and then those news people, uh, when you actually do do the news or you say something truthful about a war, like I do, they'll smear you. Right, that's the and other thing. Yeah. And they make you just like they do to Tulsi. They make you feel icky. Yeah. About when I think I heard you say that actually. Yeah, no, yeah, That's the you, point of propaganda is to make you feel icky when their name comes up. Yeah, you create an ick factor around yeah, somebody exactly. and people who are afraid to to associate with that person, retweet anything like that. I've said this before, there's a visceral feeling you get when someone you know is smeared or someone you retweet is smeared or someone you've had on your show is smeared. I get it at least and I I've, I've said this on Twitter and I say it because I want people to know that there is this pressure that people feel. Like, I think that people don't get it. There really is, like, the ick factor works even when you know mm-hmm. that it's wrong. Like, yes. I, you just, the difference is whether or not you give into it, but right. it's there. There is this collective pressure. And you were, you know, we were just saying how people say the same thing again and again and they lie and lie. And it really, the other part of that is for that to work, you do have to smear people and you have to have this ick factor. So that reason and facts is kind of, um, outweighed by those other things, right? Of course. That's what lets you ignore the reasons and facts because you're in this emotional zone where it's like, oh, this person, you know, they're just a bad person. Like, like facts aside, you know, this person's just an assadist, an apologist, and then you don't have to look at the content, right? Which is what we saw with Kamala Harris and Tulsi Gabbard. As long as you employ a smear, that trumps everything else. And you get that a lot. You, uh, I just was called racist because I won't have Andrew Yang on my show, who I had on my show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, I've had him on. We talked for like an hour. It's it's a weird thing to see people weaponize. What, that, that's the term, right? Weaponize yeah. identity yeah. politics. That's what that's called, yeah. right? Uh, it's weird to be the victim of that and see people do it so disingenuously and do it. Like, to accuse someone of being a racist falsely, to me, is... I don't know if it's as bad as actually being a racist, but it's certainly just as immoral. So I have a question for you about your political evolution. You said like in the in 2006, you were doing stuff at UCB. You were already aware of the MSNBC stuff, the MSNBC bias, right? Right. Did you go? But kind I still of- like like. But that's when they went and got Keith Olbermann. So I'm like, well, maybe they'll be good. Right. And, you know, I was really a big Keith Olbermann fan at that time. Like a lot of people were. Also yeah. sad to see what happened. I mean, I know that I, I will look back at things that I wrote and said, and I kind of cringe. But did you have an evolution where you were more like... Yes. 
Well, so can you talk so about the that? Big, yeah. The big moment for me was when I read Listen Liberal by Thomas Frank. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I was always lefty and whatever and, you know, pulling for MSNBC. And right. I always thought it was a left-right paradigm. I always thought it was left-right. Yeah. And, and Democrats, and Republicans, I, too? Yes. Or, okay, and I yeah. couldn't understand people Republican. I couldn't understand right-wing. I don't get, you know, Ben Mankiewicz used to always say, you know, you can't even talk to these people because it takes 80% of your time just to unwind the crazy, right? Yeah. And I felt the same way. Well, I feel that way about Russia gators now. Right. right. You can't exactly. even talk to them. Uh, so that's when I realized, oh, it's not left-right. It was list and liberal. When you, if, if you read that book, you, you can't not be a radical after you read it, although somehow Thomas Frank manages, and he wrote it. <laughs> but uh, it just shows you the rot and said there is no... To, there is no two-party. It's all fake. It's all phony. It, the words that he said, he said they, they know how to pay fealty to democracy, right. and they know how to pay fealty to liberalism, and pro, but they don't, uh, then they do the exact opposite, right? Like, Barack Obama came in power, and he, he made the banks bigger. People wanted him to break up the bank. He made them bigger. Right. He took us from two wars to seven. He made the Bush ta tax cuts permanent. He opened the Arctic to drilling whenever Shell Oil asked. Did right. it twice. He, there's fracking pipes underneath this country because he lifted the ban from the 70s on exporting fossil fuels. I mean, he He's going to let it play out. He let cops crack the heads of peaceful protesters all across this country and occupy walls. I mean, this there is no difference between electing Barack Obama and electing Mitt Romney. We would have got Romney care anyway. This, which is what we got. And we would have been more critical. Yeah, and, uh, and people would have been critical him. of this exactly. Like, so what I said last night during my stand-up set was that the silver lining of Donald Trump yeah. is that people are starting to realize the horrible shit that their government has been doing all along, right. but they weren't aware of it because Barack Obama is such a gentleman right. and he would never disrespect a woman in public. So uh, like, you know, when the, the Muslim ban was the big thing and nobody asked themselves, people all got upset, oh, you can't ban Muslims at the airport. And I'm like, well, why do you think the Muslims are at the airport? Why do you think there's so many refugees coming here? So it's Barack Obama bombed the shit out of them for eight years and nobody cared. Does Barack Obama have to bomb Muslims at an airport <laughs> for people to finally care about it? Right. You hear that Trump's putting uh, immigrants in cages. You find out Barack Obama built those cages. You find out that Trump is now gassing immigrants at the border. So Barack Obama gassed immigrants at the border. And I guess they should feel honored that they were gassed by the lesser of two evils. That you know that woman, that scary viral clip of that woman who worked for the Justice Department defending why, defending like not giving children blankets, not giving them toothbrushes. Remember these I didn't judges? See it. So these judges, it went viral. These judges were asking this woman who worked for the Department of Justice how they could, you know, with kids at the border, how they could not give them toothbrushes, how they could not give them toothpaste, how they could not give them blankets, and they were like, "You're actually saying that this isn't a violation of their rights?" And she's like, "Well, it depends. You know, you don't have to shower." Like every day, you know, you could go a week. I mean, it's unbelievable. And what's insane is that she was an Obama appointee and she's a registered Democrat. You know, I guess it's not insane. It's not shocking. Um, but, but this Russiagate thing has made, is made people right. double down on their partisanship. Yep, exactly. I talk to people who are comedian friends of mine, and they're angry at Trump voters. I'm like, you're angry at Trump voters? You have to understand that we're all in this together, and that what made people so desperate to vote for a clown? And if you're such an opposition party, how did you lose to a guy who's a game show host? That's who I want to make fun of. The people who couldn't beat a guy who's a big piece of shit is that. There's really something wrong with you if you can't beat that guy right. that's a big problem and so it's just amazing to me to see it's still people get caught up and that's what Russiagate has done it's made people double down on their partisanship it's made them dumb they say Trump is a the divider they're both 
that, but that's what the elites want. They want us fighting left, right instead of top down. And that's where the real fight is. And, uh, and as soon as everyone realizes, you know, that's what Fred Hampton realized, which is why they killed him. Right. You know, class is such a taboo in this country. Yeah. We just, we, yes. uh, in the media, we, we just don't cover it at all. We don't, we, don't, we don't cover class distinctions in any way. We talk about left, right, Republican, conservative, progressive, uh, you know, uh, reactionary. Yeah. But we don't, we don't do poor, rich. Uh, you know, upper class, lower class. It's just not part part of the nomenclature anymore, uh, or if it ever was. Right. And there are no there are no working class voices really in the media, right? In the in the major media, are there? Yeah. I mean, there used to be, there's was, no right? Jimmy Breslin's anymore. Right. There's nothing, right? There's, I mean, there's, there's right. No, there's no Mike, Mike Reichos. Reichos. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even Stephen Colbert to watch his transformation from yeah. doing what I consider to be the best political comedy show in the history of comedy mm -hmm. to doing just another watered-down Russiagate bullshit right. show. Did you see his interview with Tulsi Gabbard? It was just no. shameful. It's just shameful. It's just, just like... Talking, a, talking points. It's just so... He's like... I. He literally said to her, I think America is a force for good. And the, it's just like, what is... What are you, why don't you just go home? What are you doing this show for? Right. What is the point of you? We need another rah-rah fucking voice right. at, yeah. at a was, television? Wasn't, wasn't that he was satirizing before? Was that's what he was... Yeah, exactly. He became the character right, right. he used yeah. to make fun of. Yeah. Right. And that's why it's so... I mean, again, it's it's just amazing to see these people I've respected and looked up to being better than me and just completely reveal themselves to be just as shallow, empty, right. and bullshitty as anybody. And I don't even know what he gets out of it. So, like, what's the difference between having $10 million or $15 million? Mm. Stephen Colbert is already Stephen Colbert, right? You're already doing a great show. What do you get out of going now to do that show, which is not as inspired, at the most, which is the nicest way to yeah, put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not half as inspired as your other show. I don't know what you get out of that. There's a huge difference between lampooning sort of power, conventional wisdom, all those things, and making jokes on behalf of it, right? I mean, the jokes just die when you try that. Yeah, Isn't right. That the... Yeah. Well, did you feel a shift, like, when you started realizing that MSNBC wasn't going to save us? Do you remember feeling a shift? Do you remember it changed your relationships? Did it change your comedy? Going from kind of, like, the, the standard issue liberal to realizing that that whole left-right thing wasn't exactly capturing the world. Did it change the way you did comedy? Did it change? Did you lose friendships? I mean, I feel like for I me, lost friendships yeah. for sure. Yeah. Over Russiagate? Over Russiagate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But earlier, did you? So it seems like there's a couple levels. There's like. There's, so, yes, there was yeah. the level of, well, I wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton. That lost a lot of friends. And they shame me. This voter shame. They, right. That's all they have. That's not how politics works. You don't right. shame people into voting. Right. And uh, I love when they're like, you're not, you don't even matter. No one cares about your vote <laughs> slash you got Trump elected. elected. Like if right. these people are the ones getting him elected, maybe you shouldn't shit on them. I said, well, what I always say is that, uh, you know, I am. I did, I did get Trump elected. I'm very powerful. And right. if you aren't nicer to me, I'll fucking do it, it again. Well, yeah, that you can't. So you, you better start being. It, a narrative. So they it's up to, to you. You be right. nice, and I'll I'll vote for your per can. But if you're mean to me still, I'm right. going to throw the election again because right. I have that kind of power. Right. So that just shows you that they don't really believe that, mm -hmm. and they just want a scapegoat that makes them feel better. That's that's Deborah Messing doing that to Susan oh Sarandon. My God. That is the somebody tweeted out. This is the equivalent of Charlie Daniels every day tweeting Benghazi's not going away. Right. That's what when Deborah Messing tweets that, and yeah, suddenly Susan Sarandon is like the most important person she's in so, history. She's like, a sorcerer, yeah. and it's just weird too because Susan Sarandon is such a major league talent as opposed to Deborah Messing. I know who's such a pipsqueak of a of an artist. That it is, of course, that's how it works. You just talked about something. Sorry, I want to back up because I, I think it's really interesting. We don't talk about it enough. I got into journalism like I was a writer before I was into politics, and one of the first 
things about writing is you, you want to get the widest possible audience. You're writing for everybody, right? Every time you sit down, you're thinking about everybody, right? But the modern media landscape has completely changed in that respect. You're, most of these shows are targeting one small piece of the, of the audience intentionally. They're all, they're, from the start, they're writing off half the audience at least, right? And as, as you say, it's sometimes 75%. Uh-huh. I mean, that's, is that, that's a new thing, right? I mean, that now it's suddenly actually a bad thing right. if you're trying to address everybody. Uh-huh. I mean, well, do, you, do, you get, do you get flack for that, for that approach? Or? Oh, I, I get flack for people saying I platform the wrong people right. or I've... Or you cater to racists, right? Or cater to racism. That, I feel like, is, is a part of that argument. Where yes. if you try to reach people who don't already agree with you, you are playing into the worst uh, in those people. Uh, it's a point of pride to me that people come up to me every was, yeah. after every show and tell me, I voted for Trump and you changed me. I, I voted for Trump and you changed exactly. me. Hey, I'm a Trumper, but I like you. And I like what you say about the war and all this and that. You know, I used to think, I, I just got a text from an Emmy Award winning comedian who I don't know, just yesterday. And he said, hey, so you're in town and it's, I just want to let you know, I thought I hated progressives until I saw your show, but now, now you're, you're honest and I get your point of view That's and right. I appreciate your show and right. blah, blah, blah. And so I think that, that I'm more proud of that, yeah. I think, than anything. Because again, like, you know, uh, we're not going to stop the war if it's just the progressives. You have to bring libertarians, independents, and uh, conservatives. You have to get everybody together and stop the wars. Right. And you have to get everybody together and break up the banks. You have to get everybody together to realize that it's them against us. It's a class war and um you know and and we're fighting a bunch against a bunch of class holes (laughs) you see that with sanders right if god forbid he reaches out to people who may have been trump voters or Mm -hmm. or would be trump voters that's bad he's catering to these people and the solution isn't that politics i'm just so confused it's it's not isn't politics but if you care about the victims of trumpism right if you which these people claim to do the people who say he's catering to racism or racist if you care about stopping trumpism you want to reach these people and convince them to not vote for trump if you turn your backs on them and call them deplorables what do you think they're going to do that's bad voter outreach it's a bad voter outreach exactly and, and so it's, I think that's so powerful. Like that is what you're doing through your comedy is God forbid you reach people who don't already agree with us. I mean, ha- that you need to do that in comedy. You need to do that in journalism. You need to do that in politics or else you lose. It's, I, I agree. And guess who's losing right now? Right. The country. The country's losing. But guess who's winning? MSNBC, CNN, The Washington Post, The New York Times. And Fox. I mean, to, and, to and be Fox. fair, they're doing the same thing. But just, yeah. It used to be a business for nonconformist, right. iconoclastic people who dropped out of other professions because they had personal problems or just didn't get along didn't with get people along. right like that that was where you ended up you were you fucked up somewhere in your life and you ended up in journalism and people there are a lot of people who are really good at the job who just that was their personality right now it's completely opposite the people who succeed in this in this profession are just like you're describing right and it's it's so why weird. is that because the, the the culturally and professionally, it's, the business has changed. That like you know, back only in the six day, companies for one thing. Only six companies, and you know, a- after like you know, uh, you know the um, all the president's men, all these sort of upper class kids wanted to get into journalism. A lot of Ivy Leaguers get it, got into it, and they just started hiring. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so the the, pe- the people who used to go in were these kind of difficult people, right. and they're just not there. Like, yeah, like people, Chris Hedges, they bounced people like that out. You know, That's right? Like, so like uh, one of the prerequisites used to be for being a journalist 
journalist was that you're not looking to make friends. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You don't yeah. really have that urge in you to make friends with people. Well, now that's all it is. That the whole everybody's friend. Chris Hayes can have a white nationalist on his show and say, "Thanks for coming on. You're welcome back anytime." <laughs> Which one is that? That was Steve King. Oh yeah. Uh, so that I mean that's. Oh, the Iowa. Yeah. 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 I was, I'm like I watched that. My head almost blew up when he did that. <laughs> right. I couldn't believe. It. But huh. I, I'm just glad I don't have to worry about comedy being, you know. Is bad. No, first of all, nobody thinks comedy is important, so you don't have to. You don't have people don't walk around with that imprimatur, or that feeling, right? Journalists yeah. walk around like they're fucking saving the world and they're doing something, and they're not doing anything. And we can sort of close on this thought, but I mean, if you you're in a position of influence, that do you have to think about that? I mean, you know, your your show is kind of stepping into the role that journalism used to occupy for people. People mm. look to you. I mean, do you feel responsibility about that? Do you feel like you have to change your approach? It's all fun. It's all me, fun. I, it's all fun to me. Like the fact that no one else was debunking Russiagate was like, it was, again, it was depressing to me because I couldn't commiserate with my friends in the way I wanted to, but it was also thrilling to me. Like, this is amazing. Like, I get to talk about this. This is exactly what I want to do. And if I do, yeah, I find myself kind of second guessing myself sometimes, and that's always a mistake because the key to my success is that I don't second guess myself and that I am a loose cannon and that, you know, that's why people like me and because people are sick and tired of the button down bullshit that they get all the time. And it's okay to be like, I am because I am a fucking comedian <laughs> and uh, you know the fact that I can do journalism better than journalists right. doesn't mean I'm a journalist it just means that there isn't journalism in America do you think comedy is more failure like corruption proof than journalism I mean, you, you can't fake a laugh really right, right? It's an so you're either funny or right. you're not yeah, right? I mean right. people can spot a fake laugh right. if you're not challenging something with your humor if it's not iconoclastic or, or brave it just doesn't work right does it right. it doesn't break through right Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I never thought of it like that but yeah I I don't, there's no way comedy could be mm -hmm. as shitty as journalism for that very reason because, you know, it's, it's comedy still rewards the person who is uh, the innovator. It still rewards the person who's talking truth. It does. It, uh, it rewards. It, it also rewards shit, too. I right. Mean, Dennis Miller. You know, t TV and entertainment, you know, mass media rewards bullshit often. Right. But well, well, one last thing I want to yeah, ask, yeah. too, about just about comedy right now. I mean, does comedy work if you don't have room to fail and cross the no. line every now and then right it does like, not work it, so Definitely. so isn't it a very difficult environment for comedians right now to i mean the, the, the social media is going to blow up on you if you if you, right. you go in the wrong direction a little problematic. bit problematic so uh, do, are, are comedians playing it safer now than they ever than they have I mean, politically whatever i mean it doesn't matter like well it's weird it's like i don't know if they're playing it safer but it's like uh, edginess gets co-opted immediately you know like uh, there was a time to be edgy did rape jokes remember that you remember that katie right there was there there was an ins insurgence of rape right. jokes and so it's, it was people trying to out edge each other right. and but then people just aping shitty edgy. right 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 and it's, it's like not, being being um outrageous for the sake of being outrageous yes. without actually saying anything without, and the whole punching up punching down thing right like it's not edgy if you're making a rape joke making fun of a rape victim mm -hmm. you can make a great rape joke making fun of rapists i mean that's a whole other discussion right and george carlin made this point right you can be basically make jokes about anything. anything i'm always amazed at how little advantage comedians take of their uh platform i'm i'm are you walking to a comedy club right now tonight you might not hear anything about anything do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They'll be doing bullshit sex jokes or bullshit this joke or that joke, and they'll never, and they might do a maybe, and if they do a joke, it'll be wrong about Russiagate, you know, or something like that. Putin comes down the chimney. Oh my yeah. God. yeah. But at the same time, uh, 
they have to get booked, right? right? You have to have a bar owner decide that. And you know what bar owners, I remember one guy said, I want belly laughs when the checks hit the table. They don't give a fuck with you. You know what I mean? Right. So they don't care if you're working on an artistic piece right, right. or trying to expand the genre. They don't give a They want belly laughs. They want, they're selling booze and they want laughs. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, it was great. So uh, good, good luck with your show. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's really Not that cool. you need it, yeah. but yeah. Okay, I appreciate it. Going right back at you. So that was Jimmy Dore. Yeah, that was. A man Oof. who uh, does not hold back. He does not, not uh, buy this song. Yeah, which is refreshing. And you've been listening to Useful Idiots. And by the way, we got it up to 200 plus ratings. Did we? Yeah, so keep rating and reviewing and subscribing. We got to beat Pod Save America again. <laughs> Fuck Pod Save America. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Pod Save America, yeah. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.